The other night when they announced the pie in the face, by the way, I volunteered. Nobody volunteered me. Um, when they announced the pie in the face the other night, one of the kids turned to me and said, make sure you have your mouth open. <laughs> so, Love it. So I fully expect to uh, get the taste of pie in my mouth here. We'll do it at the picnic. We'll make an announcement about how far we've exceeded our goal, and uh, we'll get to enjoy that in just a little bit. So if that interests you, make sure you stick around for the picnic afterwards. There's lots of food. We want everybody that came, even if you didn't know there was a picnic today, to stick around and, and eat with us afterwards, okay? Um, and I've loved this. The teens have just done a great job. You know, some of the teens that work in dramas at West Branch uh, did all the set design and created all this, and they've been running things, and, you know, Lita and Cody have kind of given them a little direction along the way, and they just run with it. So it's been, it's been exciting to see that. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. The Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. If you don't have your own Bible, grab one of those black Bibles in the rack in front of you and turn to page 1074. 1074. Pew Bible. 1074. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. You're in a class this morning. This is our last class together on what we have called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel in the Gospels. Our Family Bible Week adult class has, learned, has been learning all about what a gospel is. There are four gospels in the Bible, and the gospels are like biographies of Jesus Christ. But they're unlike any other biographies of any other person in history. Because almost all other biographies don't spend 25 to 50% of their word count and page count on one week of their subject's life. And there's a twist at the end of these four biographies that's different from all other biographies as well. We're going to celebrate that big twist in today's message. On Monday night, we learned there are four Gospels and that they each are different from one another. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the most similar to each other. Class, what are those called? The synoptic Gospels, the sin-together optics, similar perspective. They're the most similar to each other But they too cover different things from each other in different ways. But all of them agree as well that Jesus is the most compelling person in all of human history. And together they paint the most amazing portrait of the most compelling person there ever was. On Monday night, we also learned about His birth from the book of Matthew. The promises and signs that were fulfilled. The names He was to be given those that sought Him out to kill Him, and those who sought Him out to worship Him. A very special child. On Tuesday night, He was grown. And our class studied one of Jesus' miracles in the book of Mark. Mark tells us who Jesus is by showing us what Jesus did. Mark is an action book. And it was exciting to see Jesus heal someone in love and how that showed us who He really is. On Wednesday night, We study what Jesus taught in the book of Luke. We read and analyzed one of Jesus' parables. Luke was the consummate historian who researched Jesus' life and teaching. No one ever taught like Jesus. No one ever lived like Jesus. No one so graciously yet so holy at the same time was like Jesus. Then on Thursday night, we studied the death of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus was crucified, nails piercing His hands and His feet, death by slow asphyxiation. His lifeless corpse was placed in a new tomb 
by bold disciples. And the one who claimed to be God in the flesh was now dead. I'm so glad there's a big twist in this story. Are you ready for the twist? I know you know it already. Jesus didn't stay dead. John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Huh? So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, we believe that's John the Gospel writer himself, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put Him. Imagine how she felt. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, just like Peter. Bulls right in. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. The penny dropped. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? You just hear a twinkle, don't you? Irrepressible joy. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Oh, I love that line. I have seen the Lord. Jesus didn't stay dead. The tomb was empty and there were eyewitnesses to say so. That's a twist in the story if I ever heard of one. Jesus appeared to Mary. Don't you love that moment when Jesus says, Mary? And she hears her voice and she knows who He is. And then He says, Go, tell my brothers. And Mary Magdalene becomes the first evangelist. The first with the good news on her tongue. I have seen the Lord. He's alive. He's alive again. It's not that He didn't die. Yes, He did die. We all saw it. But He's alive again. I have seen the Lord. You didn't know it was going to be Easter this morning, did you? You know, Mary was an unlikely witness for Jesus. In those days, the testimony of a woman was not admissible in a court of law. And Mary was known to be a real sinner. She had had at one time seven demons cast out of her. 
by the Lord. This sin-stained woman, oppressed by demons, was now the first to see with her own eyes the risen Jesus and the first to be sent on the mission of sharing the good news of His resurrection. How about you? You might feel like an unlikely witness too, but you are who God wants to use to spread the truth of Jesus' resurrection, to cause others to believe that Jesus is the Lord. I have seen the Lord. That's the witness from the Gospels. Now it's our job to go and tell. And then Jesus appeared again to all of the disciples on that first Resurrection Sunday. Shows them His hands and His side and they are overjoyed. Look at verse 19. Well, maybe not all of them. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After He said this, He showed them His hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. They probably needed that, right? They probably having heart attacks. Peace. Peace. Then he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Go and tell. Right? Go and tell. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I think Jesus is giving a form of the Great Commission. I think he's predicting the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost with his breath. I remember the, the night before, or earlier that week, he had said, I'm going to send another, the Spirit of truth, the breath of God. And then verse 23 is all about the Gospel. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. I don't think he's talking here about your personal forgiveness of someone who hurts you, though we ought to be doing that. He's talking about sharing the Gospel, the message of forgiveness. If you don't tell someone that they can be forgiven by God because of Jesus' cross and Jesus' resurrection, they will die in their sins. But if you do share the message of forgiveness, that they can be forgiven of their sins by God if they put their faith in Jesus and they believe, then they will be forgiven. He's given us a mission to share the message of forgiveness. You may have heard, this, heard it said before, Preach the Gospel all the time. Use words if necessary. It's always necessary. It's always necessary. Nobody gets saved by us preaching the Gospel with just our lives. Our lives bear witness to the story, but we have to tell the story. Go and tell. We have seen the Lord. That's what we've been up to all week here at Family Bible Week and what we want to do next month with the Good News Cruise. But even more importantly than those events, we want to do it in everyday life. Go and tell. Jesus is alive. Let's get out the Word. Of course, there was one disciple who wasn't there that first Sunday. We don't know where he was that day. Maybe he was sent to get the pizza. Or the pie. Don't forget the pie. You're like, I forgot the pie. But he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. And because he wasn't there, it was very hard for him to believe. What was his name? Thomas, right? We often call him Doubting Thomas, right? How would you like that in front of your name for all eternity, to be known as Doubting 
Thomas. Well, I like to call him Missouri Thomas. I've told you before that when I was a boy, we liked to play a game in the car on vacation where we spotted license plates from all the different states. Anybody play the license plate game on vacation? Yeah, a bunch of us were doing a a challenge uh, a couple weeks ago, right? You know, you want to be the guy that says, Alaska, right? You saw Alaska, right? I wanted eventually to turn pro at the license plate game. I was so good. I was going to get corporate sponsors and all that. I love to recognize a license plate from half a mile away and rack up the points ahead of my family. It was, it was very competitive in our car. You know, my brother, I got a brother, so you can just tell right there. In fact, I don't think I saw many of the sights on our vacations. I was too busy trying to rack up the points at the license plate game. Grand Canyon? No, I must have missed that, but I saw an Alaska license plate. Right? M- Mom and Dad eventually had to shut it down that we weren't allowed to play in the parking lot because I'd want to spend all the time. We're at, we're at uh, Universal Studios, you know, and I want to hang around in the parking lot getting license plates. They want to go in and see the sights. Playing that game, we got to know license plates pretty well. And each state's plate has its own motto. I was from the very humble state of Ohio, whose motto was, Ohio, the heart of it all. <laughs> we were very, very modest over in Ohio. But I always loved Pennsylvanians. I, don't, I didn't know I was going to grow up to be a Pennsylvanian, but I love the PA license plate, both the keystone shape and the motto, you've you got a friend in Pennsylvania, right? There's even a song about that, right? Years gone by, I won't sing it for you. So here's a test for you. What's the motto of the state where challenge was held earlier this month? Missouri. What, what's their state motto? They're the show me state, right? Now, when I was playing the license plate game, I thought that meant show me all the wonderful things in Missouri. All the great things to see. It's the sightseeing state. Show me Missouri. But it turns out, I later found out, that it means I'm from Missouri and I won't believe a thing you tell me until I see it with my own eyes. Show me. Right? They're famous for the attitude seeing is believing. So Thomas could have been from Missouri. That's why I call him Missouri Thomas. Because the other disciples tried to explain to Thomas, Jesus is alive. But he didn't believe it. He doubted. He chose, in fact, to not believe unless he was given firsthand evidence. Verse 24, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, he was a twin. Imagine growing up with a twin like him. Was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Same thing Mary said. But he said to them, show me. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Now let's not be too hard on Missouri Thomas. I mean, do you think you or I would have done much better? Thomas was a very brave disciple. In John chapter 11, Thomas was the one to encourage the other disciples to follow Jesus into danger, being willing to die with him. Thomas didn't keep that promise to go with Jesus into death, but neither did any of the other disciples, including Peter, who had said most vehemently that he would. Thomas has just seen, this week, this week, Jesus betrayed, arrested, beaten, tortured, ridiculed, killed. All the stuff we saw Thursday night at Family Bible Week. 
pardon me for not believing that he's alive. It was easier for the other disciples to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. They had seen him with their own eyes. So Missouri Thomas says, show me. I love the next part of the story in this gospel. Because Jesus is alive. And he knows what Thomas has just said. And in grace and love, he brings the proof that Thomas had required. He condescends. He shows up with what Thomas demanded. He didn't have to, but he does. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. There he goes again. Every time he shows up, peace. Calm down. It's all right. I give you my peace. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Wow. It's true. Jesus is alive. Death could not hold Him. Doors could not keep Him away. And He appears to the disciples with peace on His lips and to Thomas with an amazing invitation. Okay, buddy. You asked? Go ahead. Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had said. And how he lovingly holds out his hand to Thomas and invites him to believe. No, actually, it's more than that, isn't it? He demands that Thomas believe. Thomas demanded proof. Jesus demands faith. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus insists on faith. He's gentle, but he's strong. I love how the New American Standard Bible translates this. Be not unbelieving, but believing. Here's the proof, Thomas. Now believe. Jesus loves us, but He demands our faith. He loves us and He does not allow us room to halfway believe. To sit on the fence. To disbelieve in Him. To not trust Him. He demands faith of all of His followers. And He is still inviting skeptics to consider His claims. Is that you? Have you been dragged here against your will? I'm glad that you're here today, even if you don't want to be. If you are here and you're skeptical about this whole thing, I understand. I've been there too. I've struggled many times with questions about the reality of Christianity. But I've come to believe that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, present a compelling picture of an amazing person and the true history of both His death and His resurrection. There is evidence that demands a verdict. And Jesus will accept no middle ground. He demands our faith. Stop doubting and believe. Now that may be a process for some of us. For many, many years, even after I'd gone to Moody Bible Institute, I struggled with believing in the resurrection. But Jesus would not accept my unbelief. He brought me again and again to consider the evidence in the Gospels for the reality of His resurrection. And I built my faith up from that. And He insisted that I stop doubting and believe. And He does the same with you today. How many of us took home one of those Case for Christ books at Easter time? How many have read it or passed it on? Stop doubting and believe because Jesus is really alive.
Really? Now catch this. This is where this whole thing is going. Missouri Thomas stopped doubting immediately. And then he uttered the fullest expression of the worship of Jesus Christ that anyone had ever said up to that point in human history. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And he wasn't swearing. He was worshiping. My Lord and my God. Thomas was proclaiming his faith in Jesus He was proclaiming His worship of Jesus. He understood what was happening now. This Jesus is none other than the Lord, and He is none other than God Himself. And because of that, He deserves total worship. In my mind's eye, John doesn't say this, but this is what I see happening. Thomas falling on his face before Jesus, not bothering to touch his hands or his torso. No, it's good enough, Lord. Just falling down, in worship of the risen Jesus and saying, My Lord and my God. That's what the Gospels have been pointing us to all week long. That's where they've been going all week long. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. My Lord and my God. That's who He is. Notice the personal pronouns. He doesn't just say, Lord and God. He says, My Lord. My God. Now he's not saying that he isn't the universal Lord and God of all things. He is. But it's personal. He belongs to Jesus and Jesus belongs to him. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. My Lord and my God. And Thomas worshipped Him as truly as you and I have come this morning to worship Jesus. See, we aren't here to memorialize a great and dead saint. Saint Jesus. No. No, we are here to worship the risen and living Savior, our Lord and our God. Now notice what Jesus does not do here. This is totally important to the story, okay? Something he doesn't do. What doesn't he do? He doesn't demur, right? He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 Tom, 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 stop, stop. Don't worship me. I'm not God. I'm not your Lord. Don't bow like that. Does he? Jesus receives the worship. It's right to worship him like that. He has the right. He deserves it. He recognizes it as right and righteous for Thomas to worship Him. Jesus allows Thomas to ascribe deity to Him. These are Jews. Thomas is a Jew and Jesus is a Jew. And Jesus says, it's okay to worship Me. That's mind-boggling. You know, we... We'll call anything a God, or our, our culture will call anything a God, right? We're comfortable with, oh, whatever, I worship this, I worship that. But the Jews, they worship, there's only one God. And Jesus says, yep. And he receives that worship. The risen Jesus receives total worship from Thomas. And he wants our total worship today. He not only demands faith from us, but He receives our worship. 
That's why we gather, isn't it? Not just to worship some generic creator God. Some people say, well, I experience God out in the woods. I'm glad you do. Worship God there. He made it. But worshiping the God that made the woods is not enough. We must worship His Son, Jesus. We are Christians, not just Godlians. We worship the risen Lord Jesus. God Jesus. We say with all of our hearts, and with all of our minds, with all of our souls, with all of our money, with all of our strength, Jesus, our Lord and our God. Now notice what Jesus does next. What He says next. He has been gracious enough to show Himself to Thomas like Thomas had demanded. But now He needs to gently rebuke Thomas and promise you and me a greater blessing. Look at verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen Me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's Jesus talking about in verse 29? Who's He talking about? Go ahead and yell it out. This is a class, so I need to hear from you. Yeah, that's us, right? Have you seen Jesus with these eyes yet? No. There is a special blessing for people like you and me. You might get the idea that the most blessed people in the world were those who lived in the Gospels, right? Who had seen Jesus and believed. Matthew, Mark, and John all knew Jesus personally. They saw the risen Jesus. I mean, does it get any better than that? Yeah, it does. Jesus says there is a blessing, a special gift of God's grace to those of us who believe without seeing Him yet. You know you're more blessed than Matthew, Mark, and John? We've not seen Jesus yet except with the eyes of faith. We know that He lives, but our eyes have not yet beheld His risen body. We're waiting. Waiting for that. Waiting until He comes to restore all things. Think for a second that the disciples didn't have something that you and I can have by putting our faith in Jesus. Peter, years later, reflected on this in his first letter to a bunch of Christians like us who had not seen Him. He said, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are blessed, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. Someday we will see Him. 1 John 3 promises, We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But not yet. Till then we hope and trust and obey and wait and are blessed. And John goes on to call it life. Look at verses 30 and 31. What we call this week the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples which are not recorded in this book. Some of them are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Life. Believe and be blessed with life. Abundant life, life to the full, eternal life, forever life, blessed life. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of death. I'm tired of our loved ones dying. Just since Christmas, right before Christmas, I've done these funerals. Ann Nydrick, Darla Coble, 
Lloyd and Dora Hampton, Brenda Plisko, Tom Curran, Diana Moore, B. Johnson, and Barry Bonzel. Now some of those precious folks were in their 90s. But that doesn't make death good. Death is an enemy. It's part of the curse on this world. Death is not the way things were supposed to be. They're not the way things should be. I'm tired of the sentence of death hanging over my life and the life of all those I love. And I'm waiting for death to die. You know that death will die one day, right? Death itself is going to be thrown in the lake of fire, the second death. Death itself is going to come to an end. We know from the four Gospels that Jesus has conquered death and brought life. That's the twist at the end. He brings life to all who believe in Him. Verse 31, These things are written in the Gospels that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Jesus has conquered death. So stop doubting and believe. If you are here today and not yet a believer, I urge you to turn from your sins and put your trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ, the focus of the four Gospels, who died for your sins to bring you to God. Stop doubting and believe. And start believing and be blessed. Blessed with life. Worshiping our Lord and our God. And then going and telling the world that Jesus is alive. The gospel from the gospel.